suicide game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Hello out there, welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Moran, and my brother J.S. to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate those high seas of life. Welcome today to our 143rd podcast, a bioblast number 10 a bite-sized taste of notable men. Subtitled, are these people normal? I mean, these biographical appetizers, ordivores, if you will, the, of the lives of the rich, the poor, the famous, the infamous, the notorious, the glorious, or perhaps they're people like you or me or us. But in fact, in reality, they are probably not people like you or me. So we move on. As discussed in our last Bioblast, we were discussing how David Lee Roth seemed to forget just who was who in Van Halen, and he'd pay a huge price for making that mistake. He would disappear from the band for 28 years. 28 years, that's an eon for a rock star. Paul McCartney definitely knew Uh, what tunes would get young girls screaming. He knew money. He knew what was commercial. John Lennon, he added grit and soul and street cred. And McCartney paid attention to Lennon, and Lennon paid attention to McCartney. They made it work until it worked no more. Mick Jagger had idiosyncratic talent, and he had feel, and he was a calculating band leader and businessman. Of this, there is no doubt. He was the consummate professional with matching work ethic. Keith Richards, he brought to the table musical genius, once-in-a-generation, free-spirited talent combined with an animalistic, wild, street-smart sense of the sound that he could capture and has made so unforgettable. That was Keith Richards' contribution. You, and, and if you hear just a few notes, a riff, you know immediately that's the Rolling Stones. In the same way that one says, immediately upon sight, that's a Picasso, that's a Van Gogh. And in the same thing, when, when Jagger would sing a single word, you know that's Mick Jagger. Now, James Taylor, he's, he certainly knew that voice was Mick Jagger's when he, when he heard upon first listening to wife Carly Simon's smash hit, You're So Vain, complete with lover Mick Jagger clearly, clearly providing his unmistakable background vocals. And, and James Taylor was none too happy with that, about that either. And, and given that he'd written... Each verse of the three verses of his smash hit Fire and Rain from inside three different mental institutions, let's just say that he was vulnerable. And and given Taylor's vast insecurities, um, fragile, damaged ego, and a heroin addiction, knowing your wife is screwing Mick, uh, Mick Jagger, it's not helpful information to know. No, it is not. But that was just um, Mick being Mick, as it turns out, and sounding, well, sounding like Mick sounds. Now there's a Jagger. Yes, it is. 
And and as it as it's been commonly reported, Mick Jagger was especially sexually intrigued by women whom looked like him. Bianca Jagger, Carly Simon, both resembled Mick with that angular facial structure and a slight overbite. You know, C.G. Young might be able to interpret the meaning of this attraction. I'm not sure narcissism can solely explain this obsession. I really don't. And and Jagger's, you know, reported, purported sexual pleasure was, he found it especially intriguing to have sexual relations with the girlfriends and wives of his friends, a perverse alpha dog thing he had going on that might be best explained by, say, abnormal behavioral psychologists like R.D. Lang or, or, or Alfred Adler. You know, I, I, I'd suggest that Philosophers like Nietzsche uh, and Thomas Hobbes, they might also have something interesting to say about these special interests or compulsions of a Mick Jagger. Um, I know I'm off the main point, but Jagger's wife, um, Jerry Hall, well, let's be clear about this wife thing. Um, Jerry Hall had left musician uh, Brian Ferry to hook up with Mick Jagger in 1977, and then Jagger and Hall... Um, got married in a Hindu uh, wedding ceremony on the island of Bali in Indonesia um, on no- in November of 1990. And the marriage was later declar- declared null and void, ab initio, from the beginning by the High Court of England and Wales in 1999, ruling that the marriage was not legally valid under either Indonesian or English law, you know, for all these technical reasons. The four kids of theirs, they were real, but the marriage, not so much. And so after 22 years, Jagger and Jerry Hall split. They went their separate ways. And and whether Mick Jagger and Jerry Hall were legally married or not, Jerry Hall later was explicit, explicit in various publications that during the pendency of of let's just call it their 22-year relationship. She was well, well aware of her, her of, of certain tendencies and proclivities, if you will, of her husband slash partner. As a result, Hall portrayed with a vividness that, that left little to the imagination how she made every possible effort to defuse Jagger's hypersexual impulses before he left the house each day. Alas, Hall implied, um, was rather resigned, to admit that all her committed singular exertions to take the edge off mixed drives before he stepped out the door proved futile and in vain. Mick, you know, he was just an example of someone who who could not be stopped. The best she could hope for was strive hard to contain him. And, you know, in a strange development, at least to me anyway, and this is an aside to an aside. After all those years spent sucking up to Mick Jagger, 59-year-old Jerry Hall married, of all people, 85-year-old Rupert Murdoch, the creator of Fox News. you got to be kidding me. Let me ask you a question. Does this seem like it might be a good fit to you? She goes from Mick Jagger to Rupert Murdoch. 
you know, shockingly, things just did not work out um, for uh, Jerry and Rupert. And at age 91, Rupert Murdoch was served with divorce papers by Jerry Hall. All reports are that today, Jerry and Rupert remain good friends. <laughs> I, 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 am for sh- I am sure of the, that this is, this is right. But I do ask one question. What could be more natural? And, and you know, don't let lots of people get divorced at age 91? Okay, then. Back to Keith Richards. Keith Richards learned how to step back for Mick. Just let Mick be Mick. That's how you do it. How one stays on top of the rock and roll world for 60 years. You step back. Glenn, Glenn Fry and Don Henley of the Eagles, they were just such a duo. And it might have taken a 14-year vacation, yes, after, after gaining the mountaintop, then self-destructing before they truly understood the picture, then reassembled the pieces before su- successfully summiting again until Glenn Fry's death in 2016 to learn this lesson, but they learned the lesson. They did. But Van Halen? David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen just could not find peace. They just couldn't do it. They were at each other's throats. And perhaps it's surprising that they just lasted as long as they did. I mean, their first act lasted from 1974 until 1985. And and there's no disputing the fact that David Lee Roth promoted and fueled Van Halen's image as absolute no-holds-barred wild men, 24-7 drug-fueled booze-addled, babes on board, all aboard, party train. You know, on the rails and off the rails with rock gods on their way to oblivion. Now, David Lee Roth was, was, was critical to Van Halen's early brand identification, you know, the image formation, the popularity, to not only his Bruce Lee-like on-stage high-kicking craziness, you know, adorned only in tight-fitting wet leather pants, often flying around on the stage sweaty and bare-chested. And admittedly, on occasion, things would get totally out of control and Roth would fall off the stage or he'd smack himself in the nose with a flying microphone. I mean, and in addition, there were instances of, of raw emotion of, you know, from the revved-up audience that had grown too heated that had lost their equilibrium and their shit, and and lunatics in the crowd would completely lose control and throw shit at the band on stage. I mean, you know, Eddie, Eddie, the man whom scared a million guitarists by his playing, his phenomenal playing, he had adopted the routine of regularly tossing his metal guitar picks, the one he suggested caused him to get tongue cancer. But in any event, he tossed those metal um, guitar picks into the crowd. Oh my God. In the mad melee to grab these treasured mementos, Eddie had instigated a million brawls that raged among the combatants for those prized picks. And serious enough fighting uh, with serious enough wounds ensued, and it required Eddie to refrain from such pick-tossing traditions. But that didn't mean that crazed Van Halen fans wouldn't toss things at them. And in the midst of one performance, David Lee Roth was hit in the eye by a rock. 
by a rock thrown by some maniac, obviously a male, one not suffering from low T as it goes. You know, this is the point. Roth was Van Halen's singer and lyricist, but and he also acted as the de facto chairman of the, of the board of Van Halen, making band decisions on business, marketing, publicity issues. And essentially, he branded Van Halen as he saw it. And as to Van Halen's song lyrics, well, suffice it to say that Eddie Van Halen just didn't care too much. In fact, maybe not at all. But Roth did. And, and Roth was seemingly locked in a time warp. You know, at age 30, continuing to write teenager-like, sexy, filled with innuendo, macho but poetic lyrics. I mean, come on. Hot for teacher in your 30s? is It is simply ridiculous, but that was David Lee Roth. But, but the lyrics, they did work in tandem with the hard rock guitar sounds composed and produced by Eddie Van Halen. Combined... The music, the lyrics, the show, it was Van Halen's secret sauce. They, it was like the real formula for Coke, known only to like five people on planet Earth. And, and, and this combined music, lyrics, the show itself, it rocketed Van Halen to the top of the Billboard charts by 1984. And, and during Ross' tenure as the unofficial Van Halen CEO, Van Halen did become a monster rock band that ruled the charts, the radio waves, and the stadiums. And they did so for seven years. But their tenure at the top of the rock and roll world coexisted with the run of Jimmy Page and, and Robert Plant's Led Zeppelin's reign at the top of the stadium touring world, which theirs ended with the sudden death of the rocket-fueled insane drummer John Bonham in 1980. And I remember hearing about this new band, Van Halen, uh, with David Lee Roth, recalled contemporary Aerosmith frontman Steven Tyler. You know, he Steven Tyler, the blue-collar, less talented, more crass version of Mick Jagger, who wasn't pleased, Steven Tyler, to see David Lee Roth prancing across the stage while Eddie Van Halen's guitar work left Aerosmith's um, talented lead guitarist, Joe Perry, blinded in the dust behind him. No, Steven Tyler was not happy. Um, and for a, such a solipsistic narcissist as was Steven Tyler, David Lee Roth was acting as if he were a son, and planet Earth could not handle the heat of two sons. No. I mean, who did this guy think he was, David Lee Roth? Tyler would ask his sycophants. And despite Van Halen's seven-year run of fin financial and artistic success, David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen were in a conflict and it, a collision a fatal collision was only a matter of time. David Lee Roth lived for pop glory. He knew, he knew what worked and, and thought, not unlike Kiss, for example, that money, fame, wealth, girls, it came from supplying teenagers what they want. And hey, what else was there beside money, fame, wealth, and girls? 
And, and whether Van Halen produced original work or covers, what did it matter to David Lee Roth as long as it adhered to the magic formula, the magic potion? But David Lee Roth, according to no less an authority um, than the man who was known for his own emotional stability, Ozzy Osbourne, that David Lee Roth had lost a couple of nuts and bolts. When you meet him, it's like, uh, what's wrong with him, said Ozzy Osbourne about David Lee Roth. And I'm telling you right now, when your stability is questioned by a man like Ozzy Osbourne, you have got a problem. And when you arrive at this point in time, something's got to give. And this is the point that we will, at, at which we will take up the story again in our next Bio Blast episode. Hey, thanks for listening and try to keep your sanity. Have a good day. Bye-bye. As I get older Picture grows clear Too many whiskeys Women and beer Nights have proved trouble But mornings are worse Nothing I've done Has ever quenched my thirst I'm all alone Just in my room The curtains are closed Overcome by the gloom Times like these I just have to admit I mean nothing to myself Not one little bit So come on Walks over my way I'm a new man Starting today Tomorrow will be different I'll meet a woman of means I'll change the man I no more whiskeys, women or beer I'll get a job, I'll kick it in gear I've squandered my life, wasted my time All I ever needed was a partner I'll be there for her You just wait and see I'll be the man I've always wanted to be So come on, sweet ladies Waltz over my way I'm a new man Starting today More beer for old time's sake. 
tomorrow I'll wait So let's just enjoy that last sip of beer I'll be unrecognizable by the end of the year Time has grown short, the years have rolled by Opportunity wasted, but I just don't know why But today I awoke, and all I can say Is I've paid the price for living this way over my way I'm a new man starting today so come on sweet ladies once over my way I'm a new man starting today I'm a new man Starting the day.